0: Everybody welcome, you're listening to the Amplify podcast, brought to you by The Rise Collective. We champion creatives and build collectives at the forefront of social change. I'm Arden Fitzroy, Lead Producer, and this is Queer Joy, the second series of Amplify. This series was created by the next generation of creative leaders and change makers. These are our own stories on our own terms. Hey,
1: and welcome back to the second episode of Creating Dangerously, with me, Destiny.
2: And me, Pip. I'm super excited for this episode, to be honest, because we're talking about all things queer.
1: Yes, this is a topic very dear to our hearts, so the both of us will be enough. Think of this as an extended artistic checking.
2: Yes, 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 we're hijacking this entire operation. Queerness is super important to me and I feel like it's been pretty big in your life too, Destiny.
1: It is. But don't worry, we'll still be giving you some amazing work from an amazing LGBT artist, Phoebe Wagner, born and raised in London.
2: Oh, yes. People who know me know that I'm
1: a big fan of Phoebe. But let's start things off by setting the scene of our queerness, by talking about what we both identify with, the terms we use and why.
2: Yes, as queer creatives in London, I think it's a great place to start. Um, personally, I'm a massive fan of the term queer. Like, I know that as with a lot of terms, it com- when it comes to identity, it is very contested as a label and it holds a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So I think it's really important to respect that for some members of the community, the term is triggering. But for me, a Gen Z who came out like a decade ago when I was 13. Queer acts is a really nice broad shortcut to let people know that I'm anything but straight and cis without having to get super personal super fast.
1: Honestly, I agree with your last point, because the vagueness and conciseness are really helpful. I like the labels, MB and bi, but I mostly use use queer because it's easier not having to disclose all of my intersections of sexuality and gender. I just don't really have to explain. And I also appreciate the political nature of it.
2: Yes, the political nature of it is really liberating in some ways. Um, But also in other ways, for me, it, it just feels right. Like I said, I I came out like a decade ago and I've spent a lot of time trying different labels out and trying to settle on what felt right. And, you know, first off, I identified as a lesbian, um, bi, pan, but queer is the one that just feels the most comfortable in everyday situations. Um, When I'm with, like, other queer people, uh, you know, I'll go, like, NB lesbian. I feel that, you know. I love the the way it sounds. Mm. I love how it works for me but i'm not always in the mood to have a conversation with um, <laughs> with every straight cis person to tell them yeah, how i can be non-binary, non-binary and a lesbian, and lesbian so yeah. it's just like you know so queer is just like yes i'm gay shut up leave me alone you know um and it does it does also feel like when you use the word queer, you make old conservative people uncomfortable by reclaiming the like the
1: term. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying, and that is always a good thing. <laughs> um, always how, a good thing. <laughs> but how do you and your gender and your pronouns really fit into this? Well.
2: In terms of gender, I think, you know, we both discussed last episode that we we both use they, them pronouns and identify as non-binary. But I did just want to throw it out there for some people listening that people who use they, them pronouns aren't necessarily non-binary and some non-binary people use she, her and he, him or neo-pronouns. For me, it's all about feeling out the spectrum, finding the space that I feel most comfortable in, you know, and... For example, I am non-binary, but I actually really, really like it when my girlfriend calls me her girlfriend. It feels so overtly queer to me. Like, we're both very femme-presenting, so it feels like a statement of the very gay fact of our relationship, you know? It just makes me happy. I love the overt gayness of the term girlfriend, um, and I don't know, it it sits well with me. I'm not a big fan of partner, but what about you, Dee? Like, in terms of your... Gender and your sexuality, like, because they are very distinct things. Like, how does that
1: fit for um, you? I think that, like, I, I also really loved your point about like cis people using different pronouns because I think that is really important in like detaching the notions of like gender and pronouns. Um, mm. But I think I'm completely different because I love using partner. Like, being referred to as a partner, it just feels like there's something theatrical about it. Like, we're two queer cowboys against the world.
2: Yes. Campy as shit. (laughs) Yes, I love the image of you and your partner in full cowboy get-up. Pistols, whips, the whole shebang. Destiny, imagining you in chaps and cow print is something that I didn't know I needed. But if <laughs> Halloween comes around and we're out of lockdown and I don't see it,
1: very disappointed. You yeah. can
2: you can catch these hands by all
1: means. Honestly, I love that. Like, I think it's important for me to like find language that fits and feels affirming or gives me euphoria, even if that means checking in with myself and changing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean people never really stop growing and changing. And it's cool that you've embraced that in your exploration of gender and sexuality, you know? And like, for me, I tend to look to you, Destiny, as like a creative role model in some ways. And I'm kind of curious about how gender and sexuality fits into your identity as a creative, like, if
1: at all. The key thing that fits into my creativity that I think I learned from gender and sexuality is exploration and being open to not being fixed at any point in time especially because like i think my non-binariness will probably get involved a bit later on because it's quite fresh it's quite new it's quite nascent i'm still quite vulnerable with it but trust in terms of my journey with like bisexuality i think that's pretty much taught me to just not think that I'm any one thing for too long um, mm. and, like, not feel like the things that people force onto me are the things that I am. What about you? You know, I
2: don't really know because I think... I think that I was very resistant for a very long time about letting queerness play any kind of active role in my life. Um, And that included, you know, the types of things I chose to study, the types of things I chose to do. I was very resistant to joining queer groups. Um, And I haven't fully unpacked all of that yet. Uh, or why that is, but I think so much of it is a lot of compulsory heterosexuality, a lot of internalized homophobia, a lot of internalized transphobia that i'm still I'm still having to work through, you know. And it's tiring. It's hard. it's It's difficult to um be confronted with your own problematic behavior. But I'm really grateful that, you know, I have people in my life that are willing to confront me with that behavior and be like, yo, this thing you're doing, like, I'm not trying to shit on you. But like this thing you're doing is like not right. And uh, I think you would benefit from doing X, Y, Z. And it's always so helpful. Um, And, you know, and that's something like for, for people listening, like even if you're part of the community does not, you know, it does not automatically absolve you of being problematic
1: yeah
2: but yeah so i think because i've never like really um until recently, and this is through a lot of validation that you've given me, Destiny, because um, I haven't like really identified with my with my creativity as something that I'm allowed to own. Yeah. You know, like I can say that I'm a creative. I can say that I make things. Like yeah. heck, we're even making a podcast. That's creative. Yeah. Um, definitely. But I never let myself have that. You know, it was always like, oh, I just do this. I draw. No, I've been yeah. drawing my whole life. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I just do it. That's not me. I'm not good enough. Whatever. Um, So I think like you were saying with your gender, like it's still super, super early days for me. Yeah. Despite the fact that these have... So I think I haven't claimed that yet, you know? But it's an exciting journey and I like the community. I love engaging with it. Um, I love seeing gay people thrive. Yeah. (laughs) Now that we have done that, now that we've done that, I think this is a perfect time to lead into our second ever Artist Check-In, a segment on Creating Dangerously where Destiny and I check in on what we've been getting up to or seeing in the art scene since our last episode.
1: Very, very excited. This pandemic has meant a lot of catching up and absorbing queer media.
2: Yes. Oh my goodness. I've had the opportunity to binge, not once, but twice, Noelle Stevenson's uh, She-Ra, I'm currently re-watching the whole thing with my mum. Uh, no, I can't explain to anyone how much I love this show.
1: Oh, it's so sweet that your mum's watching it too. Um, I'm a massive Shira fan. It's engaging. There are some seriously interesting takes on redemption and queerness.
2: Yes, yes. I remember when you were talking to me about it and you were saying about how um, it deviates from the... Like Christian idea that to be redeemed you have to be punished, and exactly. instead it allows for like a more like an emotionally healthy and functional exploration of how to forgive people and how to give people space to grow. Yeah, and become you know not the villain but the the friend.
1: But how's it been uh, watching it with your mum?
2: It's been really nice. You know, it's it's been a really nice. Opportunity to normalise some of the more queer parts of my life for my mum. Because, you know, it's a a lot to take in for her. She's she's trying. But it's definitely been really great having uh, the non-binary character Double Trouble, who is an icon, honestly, um, as, like, a great role model in terms of, like, showing my mum how effortlessly everyone can... Use the correct pronouns, whether that whether that be the good princesses or the evil horde, and she's genuinely so invested in the show and the story writing. But she absolutely hates the horse.
1: <laughs> absolutely hates him. That is oh a my resounding my criticism of heard
2: <laughs> She will drag that horse through the mud any given opportunity. <laughs> oh god! Genuinely close to calling Peter like. The animal cruelty claims.
1: Honestly, I love Double Trouble. Like I love how theatrical their character is and they're voiced by genderqueer person, Jacob Tobia, And the way their pronouns yes. are used, honestly, it like speaks to this wider issue of people misgendering, bad trans people and bad non-binary people. Like Double Trouble does bad things and helps the bad guys, but misgendering is never used as a tool to scold them.
2: Exactly, and it's so refreshing. Like, I love how characters' gender and sexual identities aren't used as narrative devices in the show as well. They simply are. They are characters in the show, and they live their lives. They have their arcs. They're a representation of the diversity of human or humanoid, in the case of the show, experience and identity, but Noelle doesn't essentialize these characters down to this. They fall in love... They fight, they have families and friends and personal struggles, just like any other cis-straight characters on TV.
1: Yes, and the characters are really dynamic and well-rounded. I felt that with another show that I was watching, Wonder Egg, which is a short anime. It's new, so I won't be spoiling anything. But the characters are really interesting. It looks beautiful, and the way transness is explored was very different.
2: Ooh, in what kind of ways?
1: I think it showed me a lot about, like, um, dating while trans and, like, being a young trans girl and just, like, exploring life and having a friendship group and, like, navigating the difficulties of that. Um, But what have you been loving media-wise in the pandemic?
2: Well, I mean, besides Shira, I've been comfort watching a lot of old favorites like steven universe and adventure time marceline and bubblegum were the og sapphic representation for me when i was like 13 and started dating my first girlfriend i remember watching them and being like am i marceline or am i bubblegum which one of these characters (laughs) it was so fun i i still do that with my girlfriend now like we send each other like little like we constantly send each other um bubbly and fan art it's like I miss you (laughs) it's we're super gay I can't I can't there's no excuses (laughs) there's no excuses for this awful deviant behavior um and you know like I really I really appreciated that as a kid like even though it was very minimal as soon as I found out like being on the internet that like canonically they were ex-girlfriends later to be together canonically um it it helped me so much like so much more than i could even at the time recognize but it's you know even though the team at the time really had to tiptoe around the sensors on cartoon network the amount they pushed the boundaries of what people thought an animated show for kids could explore has just carved out Space for shows like Steven Universe and She Ra that took representation from covert to overt and really allowed us to have open, queer, openly represented queer characters in kids' media today. Like, I really, really, really wish I'd had more stuff like this when I was a kid. Um, I'm obviously extremely grateful that kids today can access that.
1: Let's talk about some of the queer tunes we've been loving. I think um, one person I've loved for a while is Janelle Monáe, of course, a, pan, a pansexual queen. Um, yes. S- some of the new things I've been listening to are um, Rina Sawayama and Carnage Kills. What about you? I...
2: Oh, I love Rina Sawayama. Oh, my God. Amazing. I mean, the same with um, someone I've been listening to. Absolutely love them. J. Som, oh, another person I've been loving. J. Som, Um, I love Mitski. Oh yeah, of course. She's amazing. amazing. I mean, are you Sapphic if you don't like Mitski?
1: (laughs) I I, I start to question things. Um, And Ravina. Oh yes, yes, yes. She's amazing. Her NPR is like beautiful. The Tiny Desk concert. It's so good. Oh,
2: my God. And have you seen, I think I sent it to you, the video for Headache.
1: Yes. Yes. It's beautiful.
2: Queerest thing I've ever seen in my life. She is loving all up on this person. Very, very, like, I don't know their pronouns, their gender, but very femme presenting, Mm -hmm. you know, like sapphic deal going on there. And they are just, oh, my goodness. Stunning. We cannot ignore, we cannot ignore the queer queen, who has recently, finally, gotten the attention that she deserves. Arlo Parks.
1: Arlo Parks.
2: Arlo Parks. I have such a crush on Arlo Parks.
1: Honestly, you could not stop bringing her up. Like. <laughs> <you> can- oh.
2: <laughs> have you seen her?
1: Yes. Oh my yes. god. Yes, yes, I have. Oh. Just amazing.
2: Oh. I,
1: you know, I... I'm speechless. And she's a Londoner. But also,
2: like, and she's a Londoner. Oh, my God, I love listening to her voice. Oh, my God, the fact that I... oh, I need to take a moment to recover myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about Arlo pox too much. There's something about, you know, their lyrics. They're just so poetic so beautiful and hearing someone singing about queer love in a way that isn't and talking I don't know just like the way like they sing about like Eugene you know singing about being in love with your friend but they're straight or they date someone else and green eyes about thinking, you know, like thinking about like relationships you've had with people who they're not out to their parents or they are out to their parents, but their parents aren't accepting. And just that, that hearing that representation of heartbreak and the complexity of queer relationships. And these are things that I've heard in straight songs, but like I hearing it and knowing that I can directly relate to that experience My days, oh, so good, and yeah, really, it's been it's been a fantastic few months for the queer community in terms of like music because lest we forget, Montero, call me by your name, Lana's ex.
1: I love the music video. The snake in the beginning is disgusting. It does make me feel a bit,
2: uh. (laughs) oh my God, oh my God. Whatever they did to his lips, Yeah. whatever they did to his lips. No idea.
1: But he really, he really did that. He really did that. It was really, really good.
2: He really was like COVID 2020. I don't need any other people in this music video. It's just me.
1: Just me and the devil. That's it.
2: Just me and the devil. (laughs) <laughs> oh And I love the absolute gall of releasing it two weeks before Easter.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was bold. Christian community was gagged. It was bold. It was very bold.
2: And then releasing shoes. Oh my! To God. go along with it, seeing pastors vehemently discuss satanic Nikes. <laughs> is something I didn't know I needed but I'm so glad I have.
1: Oh my gosh. It was it was something. It was wild. I I did not know that that's that's how 2021 would be, but here we are. It's been a, it's been a good month.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this tends to be the case in a lot of places, but big cities tend to be epicenters of queer culture and London really is no different.
1: Yeah, I found so many places around London that have really helped me to understand my queerness and just foster great communities.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I always find that art can be such an amazing vehicle to understand the more subtle forms of human experience like queerness, like gender, like sexuality. Um, And I think it really is a way to make the complicated internal world poke out for a second and make it real in the material world
1: and there's definitely no shortage of queer spaces in London if you know where to look that's so true and it's just like connecting to other artists work and feeling a little less lonely we need more of those spaces
2: dude I mean I'm still so mad that we never went to one of our mutual acquaintances um queer poetry nights like I'm thinking back to pre-Rona Pip And just like kicking them for all the events they missed just to stay at home and watch Netflix when that's literally the only thing I've done
1: (laughs) in the past year. Honestly, we should have gone. Like it would have been so good. And this pandemic has me looking back at like all the events I've missed. Just like,
2: no. Dude, especially because everything's online now and it's just a completely different feeling. Like for a long time... I feel like I didn't attend a lot of queer-focused events or really explore the queer scene very much because, like, retrospectively, I can see that I was really trying to figure out my gender and I had a lot of internalised homophobia and transphobia going on. Um, And the most I did for ages was go to She Bar in Soho, which, you know, I've got to say is a really nice space. It's the first club I ever went to where I felt safe. I feel like we had this conversation the other day about she-bar and even just like the layout of the place feels like it was made specifically like with queerness in mind or at least with like by like queering the patriarchy and like queering the male gaze where you don't really have a lot of spaces to sit on the sidelines and gawk and there isn't a very open plan like dance floor area so you aren't you don't feel like you're on display which is what I felt when I went to a lot of clubs that were more straight focused where you kind of have like the center where all the quote-unquote like women or women presenting people dancing and then you have like the men like kind of lurking (laughs) on the corners like by the sticky walls with their shoes stuck to the floor and stuff.
1: I love that thinking about how um, architecture kind of influences and informs the space. Mm -mm -mm. I think like obviously people... When they think about the queer scene in London, they think about Soho, um, Central East London. And yeah, historically that area has been a really queer space for queer culture to grow. But there is so much more all over London. I recently read about Pearl Alcock, a black bisexual woman who owned a pub, the Brixton Fairies, in the 70s. Is the pub still around? No, no, it's not. But you can hear about like other lesbian nightlife and clubs on the Tutu's podcast. It's an amazing podcast that like I am an avid listener of. And they have a lot about like lesbian nightlife, clubs, Pussy Palace, just amazing spaces. Yeah,
2: you know, I have anxiety disorder. And it's make, just hearing you talking about that, it's making me want to go out.
1: <laughs> i love so that I, I love that
2: i miss going out and you know i mean speaking about the lack of spaces for other members of the community you know outside of predominantly just the g in the lgbtq because i'm gonna say this now there's not that many lesbian or sapphic spaces um I've come across spaces yeah right it's always like it's a it's a gay space and Mm. you're welcome to join, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you feel welcome or safe in those environments. Um, And I was, yeah, like I was thinking about the fact that this is something that the queer community kind of experiences, especially like in London, there's really only a couple like lesbian bars and lesbian clubs that are left. You know, when we were writing the script up for this podcast, I remember doing a bit of research and coming across this UK drag queen, um, Son of a Tutu, who was born in London and has created a Nigerian anti-drag persona to make the point that gay people exist everywhere, even in countries where homosexuality or transness is still illegal and in diasporic communities like the Nigerian community in the UK.
1: I loved finding out about Son of a Tutu and that's just an amazing name. And like, <laughs> particularly about like, you know, drag that exists beyond and outside of Drag Race. Like Drag Race UK only started a few years ago, but there is a long history of drag in the UK and... I think I really experienced this at drag uni nights like they were so fun and entertaining so true like it was a much looser
2: feel in terms of like Mm. the structure of it it didn't feel so much that it was about stunting on other people it was about like celebrating expression and just really really being excited for the fact that someone was brave enough to get up on stage
1: yeah the the spaces were encouraging people to have fun to express themselves no matter how long they'd done drag like Mm -hmm. there was a range of people drag kings hyper drag like it was such a fun space to be in
2: yeah 100% like I think you know our university drag nights which were absolutely incredible and one of the things that I miss the most about well, not having gone into yeah. uni this year, uh, besides many other things. Um, you know, they were the first experience I ever had of a fully queer focused event. And, you know, if I really think about it, yeah, and sometimes I think I just assumed that a lot of events I went to pre COVID were queer inclusive, like simply because there were so many queer or alt people there. And, when I'm talking about this, I'm really thinking about like poetry and jam events because that was mostly where I went. But like socializing in those spaces would help me make organic connections with the queer community. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they were 100% queer focused and they were queer spaces where people felt like it was theirs.
1: I feel like I kind of also took it for granted too. I've tried to make more effort to find queer events now, but it's like, are we just assuming everyone is queer? And like, that's not, or recently I found like that's not inherently a bad thing because it is in part like challenging heteronormativity of assuming everyone is straight and cis. Mm. But like, it is important that like, do we feel safe in these, like do queer people actually feel safe in these spaces?
2: Yeah, and also like, like conflating queerness
1: with art as well. Yes, yes. There's a big assumption of that that
2: we're like automatically, right? Like we're automatically assuming that art spaces are going to be safe for queer people because it's been queered as a mm. occupation and as a as an alternative to like the capitalist system on the mo- on the most part. Like creating for creating's sake is not being like a productive form of like existing within society. So it's been queered as something as, as an activity and as a space. Um which not only like affords these spaces like a form of protection in that they're maybe not checked as much, but then also it completely erases the fact that queer people exist in every and all occupations and they thrive in a multiplicity of lifestyles and that there is no such thing as a, like, queer activity.
1: takes this assumption of, like, everything can be reduced to a cliché or a stereotype and that is bad. In terms of, like, safety, (laughs) um, there's also an assumption that everybody is, like, this feminist um really intersectional really inclusive and even if like the even if we're gonna assume that like the standard is a really accepting feminist that doesn't mean that it's going to be trans accepting or not racist or like not islamophobic like there is so much that goes into making spaces inclusive and safe, that we shouldn't just go in with the assumption that all art spaces are going to be like inclusive and loving and caring because this is an active thing that people do. Inclusive spaces are actively made. They're not just assumed. Mm.
2: Yeah, and it means that we have to challenge each other more. To create these kinds of spaces and that means we constantly have to check it and i know that people get tired with it because it's exhausting and it's exhausting to constantly feel like you're under scrutiny but people are constantly scrutinizing things for a reason you know because there's so much intergenerational trauma there is so much you know cross cultural trauma in like how people have been approached and just generally like it's sad it's really sad and it is hard that we have to then we have to do that, but that being said, that being said, um, I still feel very blessed to be in an environment where I am even able to have these complaints and and be able to criticize these spaces because I actually have the fucking spaces. Like, so there is an element of that where like, it's definitely, because of the stereotype, a lot of queer people do flock to these events and even if they're not safe for them, I still have ended up meeting a lot of queer people because of that, and due to the stereotype, you know. So there's a, there's an element of that that's quite nice. It's a more it's a more in some ways it feels more organic way of meeting queer people where it's not um, it's not like oh we are in a we're in like a, a gay bar and then top of, and then there's more of an element of like sexuality, which is then obviously not as inclusive for people who are asexual or people who are like, potentially have, like, sensory issues and can't handle being around such loud noise, you know? Like, these art spaces can be really nice. I mean, I even saw recently there's, like, a queer dinner party um, event that happens every month that I'm high going to go to in August. Like, 100%. I, I've already decided we need to go together. Uh, definitely, people in London wanting to meet more queer people and not and not wanting to go to an overtly sexual space or a loud space or a place filled with loads of people, or maybe you just don't have any queer connections, I think it's a really good space to go to. And, you know, I really do value the intersection of queerness and art in a lot of poetry scenes I've been to in London. Um, You know, like I said before, I've met some really incredible queer artists in the scene because of it.
1: Yeah, Um, one of these incredible artists is Phoebe Wagner a poet and theatre maker from Croydon. She published her debut poetry pamphlet, The Body You're In, with Bad Betty Press in 2019. She performed for organisations like the National Literacy Trust and Omnibus Theatre. Her work centres the politics in the political and community. She runs CREP Project, at crep.project on Insta, an art collective that explores trainer culture with young working class people. She's also
2: a bisexual woman, and we're very lucky to have two of her amazing poems to listen to
1: today. Super excited.
3: Sundays. And on certain Sundays, we pretend to be teenagers. Only girls were allowed to play auntie, mum, dad, adult downstairs. And that meant putting on makeup in the air and shopping with empty bags. We had to be older and shorten our skirts. I would tell Davina what we were doing. Now we're going to be drunk party. Now you have to drink port. We had to make the fizzy happen by squinting. Our ankles would brush when we fell. I'd flick my dead Motorola open. You call your boyfriend, I'll be him. Davina would flip her Nokia. I'm so drunk, babe, she'd say into my phone. I love you so much. I'd say into hers. Our breath could rub. To find her boyfriend, we'd try out the babe on the soft of our lips. On our tiptoes, much, seeing what makeout looks like drunk, sideways to the mirror. Then under the covers, making the tent, we'd keep trying the fizzy, making waves in the covers. Our wind voices and giggles, drunk, babe, much. Shifting the pure laundry powder air We'd want our tongues to meet for the first time To make us float above our bed Every Sunday, we try again I mean, I'm such a fan of Phoebe's
2: work And her delivery is always just immaculate Like, mmm, that feeling of intimacy You feel so close There's like an element of it where the intimacy was almost uncomfortable. Like, I felt like I was intruding a little bit on this space, which is amazing because, like, having these two girls, like, playing drunk and those early stages of exploring sexuality really like brought me back to being that age myself and starting to become like and 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 you know when I realized I was queer starting to look back at experiences I had as a child that were like that where it's like when I look back I'm embarrassed because I was obviously experiencing queerness in my sexuality and like was expressing it through play and there's a part of that where we know it's wrong and it's private and we hide it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really like cute and like it does really feel like we're intruding on something we're like really nascent, something that these kids don't fully understand, but like mm. it's just kind of funny as well. And like <laughs> Yeah. Just like calling you up, I'll play your boyfriend. I'm so drunk like i i I really love how she paints the picture <laughs> of like these two kids just playing around, and it's really beautiful, like you can feel the usefulness mm. the youthfulness stunning in the poem like it's really it she's an amazing performer, like her voice and her breath it feels like like hushing like it's just it's really amazing
2: Mm. I mean again it's just credit to Phoebe the amazing performer that she is and like how much work she's put into her craft to be able to deliver a poem that is not only so intimate and so private to be able to share that with people but then to also be able to then recreate that atmosphere not only through her words but through her performance and her control of breath work and voice like it's it's beautiful. And, you know, it. it's so... It's so funny, like, how a lot of play when you're that age trying to figure out, like, sexuality involves, like, playing with gender. Yeah. And, you know, being like, I'll be the boyfriend. And I remember doing stuff like that and being like, you know, I'll, I'll be the boy character when we play out this thing because the boy character gets to date the girl in the end. And oh. it would be... You know, like, exploring that. And I always just kind of, like, I didn't think about it too much, but there was this, like, again, like, compulsory heterosexuality where I was like, if I want to date the girl, I have to be the boy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And it makes it safe because you're pretending. It's like, I'm not serious, I'm just pretending. But actually you are, you're in the early stages of experiencing what your sexuality is going to be like and the fluidity of expression in that and yeah my god like it that's was kind of beautiful
1: yeah that's really beautiful um yeah i'm kind of thinking about how much space we get as adults to pretend and to play around with gender and like sexuality and like before before everything becomes what like before things are serious like where do I get the space to like see how I feel expressing something other than what I'm meant to be you know I feel like there's not enough space to do that yeah
2: Yeah, and that you can try things on and put them down and like, you should be able to have that freedom of expression doesn't need to be so serious all the time, can just
1: be fun. Oh my gosh, I I, I 100% feel that in terms of like, I remember when I went to like student pride for like the second time. And, like, usually I go there because, like, it's nice having all of these businesses be, like, here's free stuff. Come and work for us. You're gay. We love gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, that's really fun. And they have, like, loads of drag events and, like, singing and stuff. And I love that. But, like, the second time I went, I went with Anthony. And, like, I just was wearing Anthony's clothes. And, like, I felt, like, a different level of euphoria. Like, it felt really good Really, yeah like just because like other than like wearing my dad's clothes when like like he didn't care i didn't really have the space to like actually go out mm. and be like i'm just going to wear boy clothes and like it'd be this fun thing and like anthony just didn't care like it wasn't a big deal like it was just okay destiny's going out in boy clothes today and, and and that was it. And like I didn't feel like yeah. I had to be like, this is what I am It wasn't now. a discussion. Yeah. I could just be this today and it doesn't matter and that having that space to be like I'm gonna do something fun and like I'm gonna have fun with my friend and I'll be the your boyfriend today like that just sounds really fun and like I wish I wish there was a bit more space to have that kind of like childhood play and fun
2: yeah I mean that's something that I've tried to incorporate a bit more in like um my own life dealing with like trauma and and identity and issues with that where I try I'm trying to reframe sex as play to and also that queer that queers the experience as well. Because if you remove it from the like goal-centered idea of like there is a start and a finish, and there is a right and a wrong way of doing it. Obviously, consent always evolves. That is the right way of doing it. But you know, like in terms of performance, like as soon as you start querying that experience, it becomes so much fun when you remove the idea of like a goal and it just becomes like fun and pleasure centered it is so nice it just becomes about like connecting with the other person it's an activity without like a finish and it's so nice it's so nice to 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 give yourself that freedom
1: definitely like some of the best sexual experience I've had is where I've been able to laugh and, like, I feel super comfortable with the person.
2: you got to be like, able to it's laugh. Just,
1: it's just better. Like, everything's better where you can laugh and you feel like you're having fun. Like, that. that is honestly the best. The best.
2: Because that's the point of yeah. it, isn't it? It's supposed to be fun. Definitely. You know, if you're a sexual person, sex is supposed to be fun. Like, and we should be allowed to have fun. And I think, you know adults are allowed to play <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to
1: be she creepy put that on a banner adults are allowed to play
2: and we are actually super 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 lucky because um, we have a second poem from phoebe uh that we get to listen to called viral so here it is
3: viral mum asked if i felt like my life was eastenders because i cried a lot and i remember answering yes thinking no It was there to make the insertion easy, comfortable and clean. He told me he doesn't understand bisexuals because why should you have more choice? When you put a tampon in water, it expands and leaves bits of cotton floating in you. Thinking, pink gin makes me feel like a woman. Thinking, I want to go to Peckham and Netflix with her again. Thinking... I fancy you because it's unusual. The fibres stick to the vaginal wall. When she shows me where to go, I am a haze. She shows me where the satin is, where hot rain can pour. The motion of my hands chugs to a halt, thinking, independent and scientific studies have proven that it's because you roll up your jeans. I am a cotton rayon blend, I only pretend to like women. It's so good. It connects with me on such a level.
2: You know, that line in the poem really spoke to me, where, like, society um, made me question my attraction to women so much. Where I thought like maybe it's just because it's something fresh and something new and like I sh- I'm not supposed to like you and that's why I like you.
1: That's really sad. Yeah, super depressing, yeah.
2: right? And then I date and then I dated men for fucking eight years. So look who ended up losing me. Oh Telling oh you, got a long term girlfriend, changed my mind, never going
1: back. I love this conversation about like um, by erasure, and like I was reading um, queer uh, graphic history, and like discussing mm. the the tensions that bisexuality like the existence of bisexuality holds of like being being attracted or like my definition of being like attracted to your gender and other genders and like mm. how even with within the lgbt community not like it's one, like, big conglomerate, but still, within the LGBT community and outside of it, there is so much biphobia. Like, there is a lot Truly. of biphobia, and that manifests in bi-erasia and, like, people thinking that bisexual people are weird, or that they're, like, really promiscuous, and, like, there's so, there's so much. But, like, this poem, and, like, the funniness that the, the 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 like the tender lovely moments of it like it's such a funny poem and yet so sad it, it just mm. works so well phoebe has a real knack for that yes yes
2: like a real knack for creating atmosphere and mood because like listening to it i was laughing especially like the bits where um you know there's like a genetic component like rolling up your genes <laughs> um I still came away from the poem with this like pulling sensation, like this 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 sadness, yeah. this kind of like longing for something. Yeah. For something tangible, you know, like something that I could hold on to. I think like Phoebe in these two poems that she's given, she 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 denies us um soli- like a solidity, like a a groundedness. Definitely. There's something quite dreamy about the experience. Which is, for me, I feel like it really, really resonates with how like I experience the internal world like myself and like how I've related to um, my experience of gender and sexuality and queerness in that it often feels very intangible, very like cotton mm. floss, where you don't really know like w- when you touch it, is it going to solidify or is it going to disintegrate? And you just don't... You, I think Phoebe has such skill in that she's able to make something so tender yeah and so heartfelt i feel very blessed that I had to listen to it and this is the kind of stuff i want to hear at poetry yeah, me events
1: too. me too yeah i want i want more of this
2: i was just going to say i just feel very blessed that we got to listen yes. to such beautiful poems and
1: really i think i'm just very grateful oh, me too That was a great conversation. I loved, loved Phoebe's poetry. Thank you so much, Phoebe, for letting us feature your amazing poetry. Follow her on Instagram at Phoebe Sarah Wagner to see some of her amazing experimental poems on mushrooms and mycelia. And you can find her latest work on at crep.project and a recent experimental mix with Tatenda, Matchai on at underscore earwax just to mention the queer dinner club is at
2: queer the table underscore lnd that concludes um, the second episode of creating dangerously here on amplify we want to give a big shout out to the rise collective who've given us the opportunity to kickstart our podcast you can follow them on instagram at the Rice collective uk
1: and as we go forward we wanted to give a big big shout out to patrick Hemington who made our transition music theme for creating dangerously this intro is going to sound like this (laughs) and the transitions like this You can find him on SoundCloud and Spotify as Patricius and on Instagram at Patricius.
2: And of course, we have to plug ourselves. So go give Destiny's Instagram a follow at Poetry and Destiny. And you can find my artwork on Instagram at Hello underscore cactus underscore flower and the same at Hello Cactus flower underscore art on TikTok. It's been sick and we can't
1: wait to bring you more words from more artists in and about London. You've been amazing. Thanks for listening. This has been creating dangerously. It's been amazing platforming with Rise, and we're so excited for what the future will bring.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the Rise Collective. Thank you to Mala Axon, Amy Parks, Kyle Blackburn, Sarisha Kumar. Max Sanderson, and Claude Barbe brown Music by Pembroke. We would also like to thank the Young Londoners Fund for making this series of Amplify possible. If you'd like to find out more about Rise and support our work, visit our website, www.therisecollective.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at Rise Amplify or Instagram at The Rise Collective UK. See you next time on Amplify.